created <laughs> the heavens and the earth. It's a verse 1. Verse 4 says, And God saw that the light was good. And verse 10 says, And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. In Genesis 1.12 he says, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And then verses 14 through 17, He made the sun, the moon, the stars, and He placed them in the heavens. And then verse 18 says, And God saw that it was good. Verse 20, He made the fish and the creatures of the sea and the birds to fly above the earth. And God saw that it was good. And in verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then verse 31 says, And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. God does not make anything. He doesn't create anything that is insignificant or inferior. What God makes is very good and has purpose. You and I inhabit a place in the universe, and and you know this, we've talked about it before, but we inhabit a location in our galaxy. Our galaxy is the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is set in the heavens in the universe in a place that makes it very fortunate and very conducive to life. Our location within the Milky Way happens to provide us with the best overall platform for making discovery, for seeing the universe. We're away from the center of the galaxy and the flat plane of the disk that we live in provides us with a privileged vantage point for being able to see the stars that are close to us. You know, I never thought about that before. I don't know if you ever have, but you know, if, if we were closer to the center of the universe, we wouldn't be able to see everything that we can see. Our night sky wouldn't be dark because we would be so close to the, to the light source in the, in the center of, of our galaxy. Scientists say that we are in an excellent position to detect the cosmic background radiation. You say, well, so what? Well, it's the cosmic background radiation that contains the information that has allowed our scientists to determine that there was a Big Bang, that that's how it all began, that it all began in an instant. Our location within the galaxy and our galaxy's location within the universe provides us with the building blocks that yields an inhabited an inhabitable earth. It provides us protection from things in the universe that would that would be life threatening. One scientist put it this way, and I love this when I read it. He said, It's as if God purposely 
put the earth right in the right place so that humankind could discover the universe. You think that might be so? You know, God put us here on purpose. And, and what I want you to see this morning is that God didn't just create the universe. He created it just right. He not only created it just right, when he got through creating it, he was very happy with what he had done. He looked at it and he said, oh, this is really, really good. In our first message on Genesis, we talked about the beginning. The beginning of the Bible and the beginning of the world. In the first verse, in the beginning, God. And we talked about that the beginning of our story is God. It's not blind, unguided bits of chance that brought life. It's not just a, a long period of evolution that brought you and I to exist. No theory that any scientist has ever come up with has swayed the belief of those who believe in God that God is there in the beginning. In the beginning, God. And then <clears throat> last week, we talked about God as the creator. In the beginning, God created. And we talked about the, the evidence that uh, we have a creator, God, who, who made us. But today, I want us to move on to look at the creation itself and think about just how awesome it is, just how awesome our creation is, and what the creation tells us about who God is and how we should look at what God has made. And what I want to do this morning when we leave here in 20 minutes or so, 20 or 25 minutes, I don't know, depending on how wound up I get. When, when we leave here, I want you to understand why the doctrine of creation is so critical and so instrumental in our faith. Now, I'm going to start with a not political statement, okay? I'm going to talk about some politicians, but this is not a political statement, okay? So don't read anything political into this. But there's been a little bit of a spat uh, between New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and President Donald Trump. I don't know if you've heard any of that or if you're aware of any of that or what, what's going on. But in a, in a speech last week, uh, the governor of New York criticized the president's slogan, Make America Great Again. And here's what he says. We're not going to make America great again. America was never all that great. You know, what an incredible thing for somebody to say. But I want to say something to both the governor and the president. Of course, neither one of them are listening to me. But if I could, I would say something to both of them. When God was through with creation, he said, it's all great. It's all great. Wow, it's, it's very, very good. One of the clear teachings of Genesis chapter 1, <clears throat> and then indeed of the whole Bible, especially the Psalms and, and some of the prophets, is that the God, after he created, was very, very happy with what he had done when he looked at what had happened. God was very happy with what he did. It's very good, he said. And he did it for a reason. 
I want you to, to understand why creation is so important. And the first thing I want to say, you know, I've, said, I've said it a couple of times, and I just want to talk to you a minute about God being happy with his creation. God being happy, because that's not normally something we think about. You know, that, that God is happy with his creation. You know, Genesis 1 not only describes the facts of an ordered creation by God, but it also tells us God's response to what he had done. Five times, as we read a moment ago, God stood back at what had taken place, and he said, it's good. This is good. And as he takes stock of, of what he has done, and all, all is good, and each time the text of Genesis 1 says, and God saw that it was good. And then when he finished, and man and woman had been created on that last day, and God saw everything that he had made, he said, behold, it's very good. It's very good. And, you know, what, what I'm going to, you know, as I talk to you about this, it's not normally something we think about. As a matter of fact, in one of the lectures that I do in the class where we begin talking about relationships uh, in, in the seminary class that I teach, I, I mention this and I talk about this, and the pastors who are working on their doctorate look at that and they listen and they say, you know, I've never thought about that before. But I want you to think about it just, just for a minute. When God looked at it and he said, behold, it is very, very good that God was delighted with his work and he looked at it and he gave him pleasure and he was pleased and he was happy with this created effort. He said, behold, this is very good. Who did he say it to? Who did he say it to? Well, he said it to himself because he's all that's there. But he's there in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because it says that the Spirit of the God hovered over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was there in creation. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son, was there in creation. And uh, it, Jesus... And the Son, Jesus the Son, and God the Spirit, and God the Father were all present, three in one. I don't understand how all that works, but they were all there. And so he looks at that and he says, behold, it's very good. Would you go with me in my imagination just for a minute? I, you know, we're in my imagination now. It's, this isn't necessarily in Scripture. But, but when I think about this, when I meditate on this, this is what I see. I see God looking at the creation that he's just made. And he looks at the other two members of the Trinity. And he stands back and he says, boy, would you just look at that? Is that awesome or what? Are we good or what? You know? And... And he was very, the, the New Testament, and, and I can't think of the scripture right off the top of my head, the New, the, the New Testament uses the, the phrase, the blessed God. But the word that means blessed is makarios. And you know what it means? It means happy. It means the happy God who looked at what he had done and he was happy with what he did. And David, writing in the 101st Psalm, says he, he writes this song 
to express the joy that God has in his creation. And he says this, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Now, he's not praying that, that the, the, I hope his glory endures forever. I, I hope that he'll rejoice in his works. That's not what he's saying. This is a statement of solid confidence throughout the whole Bible that the glory of the Lord will not only endure forever, but the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. The psalmist is not saying, I'm not sure that the glory of the Lord is going to endure forever. He's saying, I am certain that the glory of the Lord will endure forever. And then he says, and there's no doubt, God rejoices in his creation. He rejoices in the works of his hands. And, and, and I, you know, I just, I, I look at that and I, and I read that and I, and, and I just think what a, what a marvelous, marvelous thing that that is. The statements about why God delights in his creation, they, they overlap each other. And so he says in verse 31, Psalm 104, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. So here, here's what I would say to you and me. When we look at God's creation, when we look at what God, what, and, and when I talk about God's creation, most of the time as I think about it, I'm, I think about it in, in two ways. Number one, I think about standing on a viewpoint, a vista point, and looking out over, you know, over something grand, either the, the desert in front of us or the mountains in front of us, uh, and, and looking just at, at all the things that are there. Or, or I think about, and I'll, and I'll talk about this in a minute, I, I think about looking up into the sky and seeing the stars and the moon that, 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 that are all up there. But creation is, is so much more than that. We look at, I, you know, I, I look out at you, and I see you, and you're the creation of God. And folks, God is happy. He's happy with us. He's happy with what he has made. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't displease him, that there's some things we do that, that just absolutely probably infuriate him. But he's happy with us. He loves us. He cares for us. That's why he sent Jesus' son, Jesus Christ, his son, to, to be our savior. But because, because he does care for us. We're important to him. He would look at you and he said, boy, this is very good. This is very good. I have made something special here. You know, he, he, is, he is thinking about that. In Psalm 19, he says this about his glory, about his creation. It says, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. And so when you stand on that viewpoint and you look out and you see all of the things that God has created or, or you uh, look up into the nighttime sky and you see the stars or the pictures that I showed you last week, you don't see those when you look at the sky, but when you look at the pictures of things that would be in the sky if we could see them, you realize that they are proclaiming 
God's glory. But I'm going further than that. So you stand on the top of this Empire State Building and you look at all the people and, and all the things that are out there. It proclaims God's glory. I imagine when Abraham sat in the desert looking up at the night sky and God was talking to Abraham and saying, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as great as the stars on the earth. And, 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 I, and I think about Abraham sitting there looking at God, listening to God as God tells him his glory. And I'm thinking, you and I have that opportunity. You know, we, we, we live in a great place to look at the nighttime sky. Uh, there's not a lot of light uh, pollution. And if there is, turn your light off. You know, it's your light that's causing the pollution. So, so, so turn it off. But I will always believe in a God of creation because creation tells his glory. All you have to do is look at it and you see the glory of God. But it not only speaks of God, it praises God. When we meet here on Sunday morning in, in, in our little building and, and uh, Mike leads us in, in the praise songs and the hymns that we sing, we are simply joining creation as it already sings the songs of praise to God. In the 141st song, 148th Psalm, the psalmist says this, Praise Him, sun and moon. Isn't that cool? Praise him, sun. Praise him, moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. You know what our voices sound like when, when we all sing together? And, and uh, we, we sing, it, it, it's loud and it's cool. And, and if you've ever been in a, in a, uh, in a large concert or in a large church meeting, you know, where, where everybody stands and, and they sing out loud and you, and you realize and you're enveloped with, with the sound of the praise. Can you imagine what it sounds like when all of the heavens, all of the stars, all the billions and billions and trillions of stars or singing a song we can't hear. But God hears it. Because it's singing of his praise. Praise him, all you shining stars. And then he says, praise the Lord from the earth. People? No. He says, sea monsters and all the deeps. What does that mean? What does it mean for a sea monster? To praise the Lord. You know, we, we could say the sun and the moon and the stars praise God. And they all testify to us about God. But what about the sea monsters and all the deeps? You know the old story, the old, the old question? If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, does it still make a noise? Think about it for a second. Think of the oceans 
of desert flowers and the expanse of, of mountain blooming flowers that exists in places that no one will ever see them or very few people will ever see them. Why are they there? Well, God sees them and they're telling of his glory. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Praise the Lord, you sea monsters in all the deeps. And, and the psalmist, as he's writing this, he doesn't even know what there is in the deeps. You and I have a better idea of what are in the deeps of the sea than he did. He didn't know what was there. But he says it doesn't make any difference what is there because whatever's there, it's praising God. It's part of his creation. That's what he has done. Creation praises God by simply being what it was created to be in all its incredible variety. And since most of creation is beyond our awareness, I'm not talking about just the earth, I'm talking about the heavens and the earth. You know, most of it, you know, we don't have a clue what's out there and what it's really like. And so it wasn't created so that you would praise God. It was created because it praises God itself. I was, I was reading this and thinking about it, and I, and I came across a, uh, a spider. Have you ever heard of a European water spider? I'd never heard of this spider before. It's a spider that's, that they showed the range of it. It's, in, it's a European spider, it's mainly just uh, in Europe and Great Britain there and it lives underwater it breathes air but it lives underwater and the way it lives underwater is it builds castles or bells of, of air underwater it goes up to the surface and sticks his tail his tail in above the surface and somehow or another it collects air he goes back under, and as he goes back under the water, you can see there's just a little bubble of air around his tail. And, and he comes back down, and he goes over to his castle, and he puts it together. And you know how bubbles kind of go together and clunk together? He goes together, and the bubbles clunk together. And he just keeps going and doing that and doing that. And pretty soon he has a bubble of air, and he stays under the water. He lives under the water, and... Uh, breathes air and lives underwater and then he feeds on the little um, <laughs> the, the little vermin that live in the sea you know the one that it shows shows you a picture of a shrimp he has a he has this little bitty shrimp that, that he's caught and he takes it and he stuffs it up in his air in his air bubble and it's not that his air bubble's not quite big enough to completely surround the shrimp. And so he goes up to the top about three times and brings some more air down and expands his air bubble. And then he gets in there and, uh, and he begins to eat the shrimp. Isn't that cool? And when he's ready to get married, <laughs> reproduce, he goes and he builds another bubble And when a, a female spider comes along 
and enters into his other bubble. I don't know where she comes from, but she comes and enters into his other bubble that's not his bubble. He maneuvers the bubbles together and they become one big bubble and pretty soon little spiders show up. <laughs> that's just incredible. It's incredible that that happens. And, and I know that a little spider's not a sea monster. But there's something that we didn't ever know about that for years and, 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 and ages has praised God by being what God created it to be. And, and, and you know, I can imagine God sitting there saying, you look at that little spider. Lives underwater, but he breathes air. 104th Psalm, 24 and 25. There's the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both great and small. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, or the sea monster, which you have formed to sport in it. Nobody really knows what that Leviathan is. Uh, if you read in Job about the Leviathan, it sounds an awful lot like a dinosaur like one of the, the dinosaur fish that are, that are in the water. But he just, whatever it is, God created this sea monster to play, to frolic in the ocean where no person can see it but only God. And the teeming ocean and all the things that are in the ocean declares the glory of God and praises him We had some friends visit us this week, and uh, they had been to uh, Texas. They'd gone on a cruise, and uh, I think it, some, somewhere on the cruise, they went to this place where in the sea they had built a, a corral for dolphins, and these dolphins lived in the corral and came up and put their heads on their shoulders and they played, they played smoochy face with dolphins, you know, and that kind of stuff is, is, is really crazy. What happens is the dolphins would come up and let you rub their bellies, you know. Uh, they would, you could go out there and get stiff, stiffen up, and the dolphin would put his nose on your feet and push you back to the shore. And uh, so you just kind of water ski with a, a dolphin pushing you. And, and, I, and I thought about all of that. And then I thought, you know, that's pretty cool that, that they do that in that corral and that, uh, you know, we can watch them and, and see what they do. But, you know, Jennifer and I were on a, a cruise one time. We went to Alaska on a cruise. And one morning we went out and we were standing on the front of, of the ship and there go the dolphins, you know. They're just going like that. They're, they're not there for us to see. You know, nobody's captured them and, and brought them together. What, what are they doing? They're praising God. They're, they're living their creation in praise of God. And so they, 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 they praise God and tell of God's glory. A third thing about creation, it reveals God's incomparable wisdom. In 104, verse 24, it says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. 
The earth is full of thy creatures. It was God's wisdom that made all the creatures. In other words, the Lord delights in the expressions of his wisdom. The universe is a universe of order. You know, our, our bodies are, are a, a, a universe of order. What amazing work of knowledge and wisdom. Who, who can understand our brain? Who can understand the way that we work? Well, God does. The world is full of the wisdom of God. And the psalmist says, How manifold are thy works, and wisdom you made them all. And the psalmist is just absolutely marveling at how everything works together. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, Thou dost cause the grass to grow for the cattle, and you cause the plants for the man to cultivate, that we can bring forth food from the earth. What, what an experience it is when God grants us a moment in which we don't take things for granted, but we see the world as though it was invented yesterday for us, for our benefit. Isaiah says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So when you look at that marvelous point of creation, when you think about the European water spider, what's your response? Wow, isn't evolution grand? Or oh, what a mighty creator we have. What a wise creator. And then creation reveals God's power. One night when I was still pastoring in New Mexico, Jennifer and I went out to see some friends, uh, church members. They invited us out to dinner. And uh, after dinner, we went out into their yard and far from any lights. They lived way out where there was no light pollution of any kind. And we sat there and, and we just looked into the nighttime sky. And uh, Paul took out a little flashlight and he pointed it at stars and it was so dark he could appoint a flashlight at a particular star and you could see what he was pointing at. And he would tell us the name of that star. And then he would point and he would show us the stars that made up different constellations. And, and he, would, uh, he, he would point out the stars and the constellations and tell us their names and, and tell us their story. He showed me. He, he said, see that constellation there? That's Cassiopeia. And he says, if, if you look at that first place where it comes out and, and you look over, put your thumb up there and look over about a thumb's width from that star, the point of that star, he says, you see there's a blank space there. He says, now take your binoculars and look at that blank space. So I took my binoculars and I looked in that blank space where there were no stars and it just jumped right out at me. There was a spiral of stars out there. And Paul says, you see the spiral? And I said, yeah. He says, that's the galaxy Andromeda. I've tried to find that a jillion times since then. I just need Paul to come back and show me again where it's at. But, um, it, you know, it, it's incredible. That galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy, is 2.5 million light years away. And that's how far? 
<laughs> Everybody turn and look. There's her number. She's got it there for wow. it. Miles. Miles. Wow. I asked her to figure that out for me. <laughs> because really, I don't know how far 2.5 million light years is, except it's a long ways. And I sat there in Estancia, New Mexico, looking up there, and I could see that Andromeda, 2.5 million light years away, and know that God had put that there so that we could see it. And he put us in a place in the universe so that we could discover it and know that he is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. Another night, we were in Lake City, Colorado. We'd gone to a concert um, there, and we were returning to our hotel room. And uh, we got to our hotel room, and I went in. And Jennifer says, I'll be in in a minute. And uh, I don't know, there's probably a baseball game or a football game or something on. I went in and started watching that. And pretty soon I realized that she hadn't come in. So I went out to see where my stray wife was. And uh, I went out to find her, and she was right outside, and she was laying on a park bench. There was a park bench there, and she was laying there just looking up at the sky. And she said, y you ought to look at this. You can't believe the number of stars that you can see. Isaiah looked at the stars, and he says, who brings out their host by number? Who makes all those stars up there? Who calls them all by name? You know, Paul could name, you know, more than I can name. I could probably name more than you can name, most of you. But who can name them all? God knows them all. He knows them all by name. It's by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power and not one is missing. And you know, if, if, if Isaiah was stunned at the power of God to create and name and sustain every star in the heaven that he could see, what, what do you think he might say today if he were shown and he knew that the nearest of those stars that we see, Alpha Centauri and Proxima Centauri, are 25 million million miles away? You know, they're not just right there. There's great distances between them. And that what he is seeing in his night sky is just a tiny patch of our galaxy, which has hundreds of billions of stars. And beyond that, beyond our galaxy, there are millions of other galaxies. By the way, the Andromeda galaxy is twice as big as the Milky Way. There's just twice as many stars in it as there are in the Milky Way. And when you look up in the sky at night, the Milky Way, every, every star you see is in the Milky Way. And you realize how many stars that are. And then you look and you say, right over there in that little patch of ground, that thumb links away from Cassiopeia, there's another galaxy that's twice as big as this one. Let's get ready to run over ours. Huh? 
It's going to run over ours in two and a half million years. Yeah. I think it's billion years. Anyway, whatever it is. Yeah, we're on a collision course with it, by the way. But don't worry, it, you'll probably be okay. <laughs> think what he would think if he realized how really big and how really great and really powerful it is. That this universe, the lavish, the lavish, and I wrote this down because these are adjectives I don't normally use. The demonstration of God's incredible, incomparable, unimaginable exuberance and wisdom and power and greatness. What a God he must be. That's why creation is there. It's there for you to look and be awed by the majesty of God. The strength and the power and the wisdom of the God who made us. And that brings me to the final point. And I'll quit. God means for us to be stunned by his creation. He means for us to be awed. But not for its sake. He means for us to always look at creation and say, if the work of his hands is so full of wisdom, and full of power and full of grandeur and full of majesty and full of beauty if just the work that he has done is that full what must God be like himself you see we just see glimly dimly a glimmer of, of, of what God's glory really is what will it be like when we see him himself not his works not even a billion galaxies. God is what satisfies our soul. And that's what we long to see. And that's what, what we want to know and experience is God himself. The psalmist says in 104, 31, 34, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless his holy name. In the end, brothers and sisters, in the end, it's not going to be the seas or the mountains or the canyons or the clouds or the galaxies that will fill our heart to breaking with wonder and our mouths with eternal praise. It will be God himself. That's why creation is important. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to tune our hearts and our minds to see you in what you have made. To see you in the moon and the stars and the sun. To, to see you in the mountains and the seas and the deserts and the flowers and the creatures 
and the sea monsters and the sea spiders and the, all the different things. Help us to look at those and see you. Help us to look at one another, our friends and our family, and see you that has created us in your image and we were very good. Father, help us to, to tune our hearts to see you and what is and what is around. And then, Father, hear us as we praise your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all